We're starting a new series for this month. We are we're having something that we've not had before at Gates of the City, which we've, because of the lack of, of a better name, uh, we've entitled our Sunday on the 25th of this month, Friends Day. Everybody say friend. friend. You know, <clears throat> anybody have a friend? You have a friend? Anybody? Four of you? Okay. <clears throat> so, um, so from now till the 25th, God wants you to develop some friends. You know, develop some friendships. And uh, friendship is a, is a really underrated um, It's an underrated experience in life, friendship. Because to me, there's one word that defines a friend. One word. Unselfish. A person who's a real friend is not about themselves. A person that will do something for someone else is not about themselves. A real friend is unselfish. And... Jesus said, Jesus made some astonishing statements and points. Uh, if you've never read the Gospels, if you've never read through the Gospels, I really encourage you. I purpose to do it at least once a year to just read through the Gospels. And when I read through the Gospels, I read through them, and then I read through the four of them. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I read through them, and then I read through them, and then I read through them usually three times, and the third time through, I'll just take notes. I'll just take notes I'll, as I'm writing, as I'm reading through it the third time. I won't do it the first couple of times, but the third time through, as I'm reading through it, I'll, I'll, the things that really jump out at me, I, I take notes. And if I look in, in my journal of reading the Gospels through the years, never the same thing jumps out at me each time I read them. Because the Gospels are like the Supreme Court of decisions that should be made in life. In other words, those are, the, those are what we have of the words of Jesus, for the most part, a few other places. But they're the words directly from Jesus when He was on the earth. And it's amazing how much that Jesus talked about how to be exalted, how to be raised up in life. And the title of my message today is taking it to the streets. Taking it to the streets. Our previous messages were entitled Lost. And we read out of Luke chapter 15, and we looked at the three lost subjects, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And we talked and discussed a lot about that. And I want to read from the first part of that 15th chapter, again, starting with verse 1. And it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear to Him, to hear Him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, 
What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, everybody say friends, and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Now, Jesus really wasn't talking to most of you in what I just read. He was really talking to the Pharisees. Because what we're going to do in my message today is we're going to back up into the 14th chapter and we're going to look at four points that Jesus made to these religious people. Religion is not Christianity. Religion is man's idea of what men think God is. Christianity is defined as being like Christ, like Jesus. So when you read the Bible and you read how Jesus was and then you read how the writers, which in the New Testament is mostly the Apostle Paul, uh, when you read about the Apostle Paul and the other few that are mentioned that wrote letters in the New Testament, when you read about their lives and you read about the difficulties that they had in their life, and then they talk about how Jesus changed their life, then we take those examples and we want to apply those to ourselves. And Jesus is talking to these people that have a mental human idea of what they think God is, and He's telling them there's more joy in heaven when one of the ones that you criticize me for having in my house and having dinner with, there's more joy in heaven than for one of them to get saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth than for all the rest of you in your pious, you know, self-centered, religious attitudes that have no purpose of really wanting to help humanity. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were both evangelistic. But their evangelism was to draw people to build them up. To build their little cliques and their little groups up. They wanted numbers so that they looked important. Never, never do we want numbers to look like we're something or that we're important. We want numbers because we know... See, a person will want other people because they know they have something that can help another person. Not in pride, not like what I have, nobody else has, but I have something because it's worked in my life. I've been liberated. I've gotten free of some of these things that Jesus talks about all through Scripture, and I just want to help the next guy. Not to build something to ourselves. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees were evangelistic for that purpose. We're talking about evangelism. We're talking about taking it to the streets for the good of people so that they can come and get what we have. If you don't have anything, then you're about yourself. And that's what he was talking about in this 14th chapter. 
He's saying it's, it's, it's when, when somebody in the streets, and he's going to define in chapter 14, we're going to define what taking it to the streets, you know, what that is, what that looks like. It's not just street evangelism. It is that, but it's not just that. In fact, for the most part, it's taking it to the streets is wherever your streets are. Whatever streets you drive on when you go to work every day and when you drive home and when you go to the store and when you do what you do and when you go wherever you go. That's the streets. And God's calling us to take what we have to the streets and take what we have to help people. And this whole, ever since July, we've talked and ministered from many different directions on the lost and being alive and well on planet earth for people because that's what Jesus is about. We've talked for two years at different times about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Those were the two great things that Jesus left us to do on planet earth. To love God and love people, but to love people the way that we know God loved us. Right? And then to make disciples. That's what, he, that's what his command was. The last thing he told us to do was to go make disciples. Why? Because he can't build the church with undiscipled people. And he's not on the earth to disciple people. He's on the earth in us to disciple people. We're joint heirs with him. You, you mean God can't do it without us? That's what he said. That's what he said. Don't look at me like I'm saying that I'm saying that we're all that important and God God can do anything he wants but he wrote it down that he called us to make disciples and we he called us joint heirs. What's a joint heir? A joint heir is the same thing as being half owner of a company. On the earth, God's given us half of what to do. He's already done his half. Actually, he's already done his full part, and now he's made us feel like we're, like we're all that important. But most people won't accept that. God, God, God's given you ownership of the business, and it didn't cost you a dime. <laughs> huh? It's the family business, and it didn't cost you a dime, and all you got to do is do your part. So... You might think, well, what I'm going to read right now, you might think, well, what does that have to do with taking it to the streets? Everything. Everything. 1 Peter 5. Everything. It has everything to do with it. 1 Peter 5. And verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, well, just, just jump for, well, yeah, let's just read it. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, because he, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us 
to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. What does that mean? Exalt you. So when we humble ourselves, when we come under the mighty hand of God, then He exalts us at the right time. Now, go to Luke 14. And you'll see why I read that passage of Scripture. And we're just going to start with verse 1. We'll just, I'm going to read through the whole chapter. <clears throat> I mean, just pieces of it, but because I want to make several points. Now, it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. So Jesus goes into one of their houses. And, and, and evidently, they invited him to supper. Jesus, come over. We're going to have chicken dinner. So, they invite him to supper on the Sabbath. And they watched him closely, trying to catch him. Trying to catch what he's doing. So see, they they have an ulterior motive in why they invited him to the house. Verse 2. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. So, there was a certain guy there at the house, maybe he was out on the back porch or something, but he's got, he's got congestive heart failure. And, uh, and probably, doesn't say this, but probably they brought him there, probably was, didn't have enough money to go to the doctors to get help, probably brought him there to see what Jesus would do on the Sabbath. Now watch, before they can say anything, he drills them with a question. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, (laughs) is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and he healed the man with the congestive heart failure and let him go. And then he comes up with this interesting point. (laughs) Now see, I'm telling you, if if we used an example like this on CNN, they'd hammer us. They'd hammer us with this example right here. All the animal rights activists would hammer us over this example. They'd take us out. Watch what he says. Then he answered them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. What's he saying? You'd rescue a donkey, but you wouldn't heal a human? Why? Why? Because that donkey, that donkey profits those people. That donkey creates an advantage to them. The guy with the big fat legs, because his legs are all swollen, because he's got no blood flow, and water's building up in his legs, and he's... he's, He's a lot of trouble, and you know, to help somebody like that, you're going to have to take him to the doctor periodically. If, if, 
you know, if you don't believe in healing, and even if you believe in healing, if they don't, and whatever the issue is, there's, good, there's a lot, you, you know, to, to bring somebody like that to church here, you're going to have to wheel them in in a wheelchair, and you're going to have to take a lot of time with that guy, and that, see, that's not profiting you any, but you'll, you'll save that silly old donkey, why? Because he makes you a lot of money. Because in that day, that donkey was a horse, he was a mule, he took everything, and it made those people money. You'd save that donkey. You know, you know what I think? You know what I think? I don't think they were supposed to save their donkey on the Sabbath. Hmm. But they did. So Jesus prophetically was speaking. Them. Why didn't they say anything? See, if they'd never saved a donkey. Well, we don't, we don't do that. No, they saved a donkey. They saved that. They saved that donkey. And set Jesus up, they set him up to see if he was going to do something that was against the law for the good of a human being on the Sabbath. What does this have to do with about going to the streets? You won't go to the streets with the right motive if you're about yourself. Let's read on. So he told a parable. He's in these guys' house, you know, they're eating dinner. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And and who invited you and come? And he who invited you, and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. So what's he saying right there? So if, uh, if this section is reserved, and you walk in with an attitude, I don't give a whatever if it's reserved or not, I'm blessed God sitting right here. Well, it's saved for Pops. So, then Lee has to come and say, uh, uh, sorry, but you can't sit here. Well, I ain't coming back to this stinking church. Well, that's just the way we said it. Anybody ever gone to a place where there was VIP? Okay. What what does VIP mean? No, it means you're not. (laughs) VIP means you're, you're, you're the scum of the earth. You're no good. So Jesus is saying, instead of being embarrassed like that, just just sit wherever they tell you. Sit where they tell you, you know? And uh, if you're all about that very important seat that you think someone probably paid or gouged to get there, anybody ever thought that? Well, you know, they just think they're all that. Oh, yeah. In the last 10 years... 12 years, I've been in some circles of people that in the world that that circle is are kind of higher upper echelon people. I mean, that's what other people say. And uh, I, I, I got in this group of people 
not because I tried to. In fact, I tried to stay away. But I got in that group of people because for some reason they wanted me there. And my wife and I prayed and we, we really considered whether we should be a part of that and, and even, even actually do that. And one of the reasons that we considered not doing it is because of what we thought other people would think about us being in that group. That, was, that almost stopped us. And the Lord said, no, no, no. They want what you have. Are there people on your streets, your thoroughfares, the, the directions that you go and come back and forth, are there people out there that need what you have? Don't answer it. I want you to think about it. Are there people that need what you have? We talk around, about, around here a lot about your first calling in life is not your vocation. It's not what you were educated to do or any of those kind of things. Your first calling in life is to be a minister of reconciliation. And the only way that you'll ever help other people is to believe in what you have. And when you believe in what you have, then you have something that other people that don't have it need. And there are tons of people out there in your worlds that need what you have. But my question is, what do you have that they need? See, if we just look like the rest of the world, if we just go through the motions, if we're just about sitting in the best places so that we can have all the, that kind of stuff, if we're trying to go up the ladder, what did we just read in 1 Peter? You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He'll exalt you at the proper time, higher than you could ever go in yourself. I've, I've, I've never made this statement before, but I just want you to think about this. I, I, I've found myself, as a pastor in that world, I've found myself, over the last 12 or 14 years, in the company of many, 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 many leaders that pastor churches number-wise 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about small groups of leaders that I was invited to. And you can see the number of people here because I don't pastor because of how many people are here. I pastor, I mean, aren't here. I pastor because of who's here. I pastor people because of who's here, not how many aren't here. But that doesn't mean there's people out there that don't need to be here. And that's, that's why you got to catch that, you see? But I've been in places where I thought to myself, I, I, I don't even want to go. Why, why would I want to go there because of these other people and the churches that they pastor? And time and time again, God said to me, He'd say to me, He said, you're going because you're learning but you're going because you have something that other people need. And what I've been astonished about is this, that it doesn't matter what the cover of the book looks like. It matters what's on the interior. And everybody needs something. And I'm telling you today that if you are born again, 
and God lives inside of you, you have something for the people in the streets, in your streets, in your thoroughfares, in the directions that you go every day. There's something that you have that people need. And it's not about what we think. See, what I've noticed in my life is things that I would fight or gouge to get or things that I would gouge to go up a ladder or be at advance in, those weren't the things God wanted for me. It's always been the things that, oh my gosh, you know, I had to put my faith out to believe for. See, if I've ever been about, if I've ever been about a front row seat, I'm just using that as an example because that's what he was talking about. Any time in my life I've ever been about a front row seat, you know what? I never got one. Never. There, there was a group of people that I was connected with for years, and, and I'm thinking, now, why don't they give me a seat? I mean, I've, do, I've done more than that guy. I've done all that. Why don't they give me a seat? Me. It's all about me. You know, you know why? Because God knows if I have that attitude, I'm no good for other people. Because I'm all about myself. But you know what? Every time I don't want a seat, they give me one. I'm just using an example. I mean, every time I don't want to be exalted and moved, like, you know, because ah, you know, in the back of your head you're thinking, you know what other people are thinking. But I've had to learn, you know what? I just got to be who I am. I got to be comfortable in my own skin. I got to be who I am. And I know I have things that people need. And why would I rob other people of getting what they need from me and me being in a position of being able to learn from people that are doing more than I'm doing? Why would I want to shy away from something like that? I had to learn it. I had to learn the hard way, but I had to learn it. Thank God for a good wife that helped me, you know, and supported me and, you know, so that she and I could do some things in our agreement together to do things that way. Because what it does is, you know, you live every day and, and you, you live for the purpose of God and not for yourself. You'll never, you'll never see yourself exalted when you're not busy about the plan of God. And what is that? Making disciples. Now notice, what he, notice in, in this story he makes this point. I, I really like this. And he said in verse 10, And when you're invited, go sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend. Everybody say friend. Man. Man. Friend. Friend. Have you ever been somewhere where somebody said, somebody said in front of hundreds of people, I just want to thank God for my friend, Bert Wimberly, who's... One of my best friends, I'm thinking, I am? I just, one day I, I had someone do that to me, and it just changed my thinking. See, that was his perspective. I didn't necessarily see him that way, but he saw me that way. Why? Because I wasn't about myself. I'm not saying I've not been about myself. Listen, yeah, everybody's got to work through it. I'm just saying somebody's not going to see that when you don't see it unless you're not about yourself. So he said, 
He, Jesus said here, so that when the guy comes and he says, friend, come and sit here. Why do you think Jesus used this seat thing as a big deal? Because it's a big deal. And 2,000 plus years later, it's still a big deal. Hmm? You know in churches, you know, I, I mean, most pastors that I talk to, one of the things that creates more strife on Sunday morning is people being told to sit somewhere they don't want to sit. That's God, I can sit over there. Yeah, that's another sermon. <clears throat> But that's why he, that's why, that's why, you know, Jesus is, you know, his, his anointing transcends all decades and centuries and millenniums and everything. He knew 2,000 years later the seat deal would be an issue. Everybody laugh at me. Okay. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, brothers, and relatives, or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Why is that such a big deal? Because we have a tendency to gravitate toward people who like us or people that can do something for us. We have a tendency to do that. Pastor, are you looking at me? No. I'm looking at all of us. It's human nature to have a tendency to want to flock towards somebody that can do something for you. Jesus said, that's no help for me. Jesus is saying here that that doesn't help me. See, now, all right, keep that thought, and then let's read where I was, where I'm, where I'm going to finish up here for today. Keep, I'm going to keep that thought. Everybody say he's going to keep that thought. <clears throat> I want to make this point about that, but I'm going to read this first, verse 15. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him, heard these things. And see, he's still eating his chicken dinner. He said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Have you ever met someone that believed they had a ticket to the table? And that other people didn't? When I mean the table in heaven? You ever met someone that thought that because of their good works on earth that they had a ticket up there? In other words, Jesus is making the point to these rich Pharisees and these people that draw only people to them that can benefit them and advance their life. He's getting them to focus on the fact there's nothing wrong with any group of people. He's, he's telling them, you're just leaving the others out. And the others are going to be different for me versus who the others are for Dale. Okay? Dale may only spend time with people less than him. I'm not saying he does. I'm just using him as an example. He may only spend time with people that have less than him and that are down and outers and everything else. And God's saying... I want you to fly with the eagles. 
I want you to step it up. So his street people may be, you know, I'm just giving you an example of what we might think higher, might be the president of some corporation. Because he has an inroad in, but he's not going to take it because he's intimidated and he's only going to deal with people like that. See, these, these, these that he's talking about in regards to the poor, it's the group he's talking to that that relates to them. Do you get that? Right? It relates to them because they won't go after people that are poor and they're needy. They won't go after them because they can't do anything for them. We need all the groups of people, but God's challenging you in this month to be aware of other people on your streets that can't do a thing for you. Not anything. But to God, they're valuable. There's more rejoicing in heaven when one comes into the kingdom. When one that was lost and now is found. When one, when one, when one. Lee Dunning, Lee Dunning does everything I say. <clears throat> everything he hears me preach, he does it. Because I'll ask him questions about stuff and then he'll tell me. He's been talking to me about somebody at a, at a, at a location that I won't mention that he's been ministering to for a while. And he heard me preach something. He told me he heard me preach something. And so he just opened himself up and just said hi to this guy one time. And when he said hi, he's developed a relationship. Not preaching to the guy. What is he being? A friend. What does a friend do? He listens. What else does a friend do? Whatever the other guy needs. In any, anything that you possess that you could do to help another person, that's what a friend does. See? And, and you, they help people. And he was just telling me of, of a story how the, a guy that he's in, in, in contact with for a long period of time now, he's just a little bit here and a little there. For the most part, no more than probably two or three or four minute conversations. But he's connected with the person. I can't tell you how many people. I mean, what, what, what can that guy do for him? Probably nothing. Probably nothing can he do to benefit his life. But he's wrapped up in making sure he goes back to the same place all the time on a regular basis to be able to connect with that person. You know why? Because it, that guy's important to God. That guy is important to God. How many people on your streets, on your streets, are important to God that he just wants you to be more aware of? Notice this. Actually, verse 16 says, Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. And that's where we're going to pick up next time in that passage now look at John 14, and we'll end with this. John 14. Next Sunday, we're going to pick up, we'll, you know, we'll review, but we'll come back to that point right there. <clears throat> In John 14, 
There's three things here that Jesus says that I want to point out to you to tie in with my message today. What are we talking about? Taking it to the streets. Taking it to the streets. I said to you earlier, I, I, I mean, I, I double and triple checked this, and, and 6,000 is the low number of people that are being saved on planet Earth right now. Every day. Every day. There's, there's how many billion on planet Earth? Six billion? Is that right? Latest figure? Six billion plus? I mean, it's growing. The Muslims are making sure it's increasing a lot. Uh, that was just funny. Everybody just laughed. Anyway, a lot of people are donating their seed to that. Um, but uh, six billion plus, and it's growing and increasing all the time. But 6,000 a day are being born again. 6,000 people a day are being born again. Think about it. God wants us to do our part to advance that to 8,000 a day. Hmm? Let's do our part in helping to see that become 10 grand a day. Yeah? A day of people being born again. And with the born again, there's that much more responsibility of making disciples so that Jesus can build the church. We don't want lone rangers. We don't want people that are just existing. We want the church being built. And the church can't be built if revelation and understanding of who Jesus is and how he relates to us and how I relate to him and how important I am for him and vice versa, if that revelation is not there in people, God can't build his church because people are just about themselves. They're about seats. They're about petty things that don't matter, that create strife and division and stir stuff up that only hinders the advancement of God. I don't know about you, I'm living to move forward. I'm living and pressing in. And I'm telling you, it's not easy. It's difficult. It's hard to be faithful. It's difficult to be faithful to, to something that is not in the natural, doesn't look like it benefits you. Ah, we've got to go back to the story. I'll, come, I'll, I'll do John next week. We've got, got to go back to the story. Uh, Luke 14. Luke 14, I've got to finish this story. Notice what he says. Verse 17. And he sent his servant at supper time to say, though, to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them, and I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife. She's a lot of trouble. And therefore, <laughs> therefore I cannot come. Just teasing. So, so, verse 21, so that servant came, and he reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind, the ones that he was talking about. Now watch what the servant says. And the servant said to his master, Master, it's done. 
as you commanded, and there still is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Listen. What I can say to you today, and hear me when I say this, what I can say to you is, if, if you're going if you're going to be a part of what God is doing in the earth, His kingdom, His domain in the earth, if you're going to be a part of that, you don't want to find yourself, you don't want to remain. Everybody has excuses. This isn't a condemning message in any way, shape, or form. Everybody has excuses. But you don't want to stay with your excuses for not being a part of building and advancing the kingdom of God. And I tell you what, Jesus isn't just building through salvation. He's building His church. And the church is made up of all the different parts. The church. So we've got to actively be busy building the church. That's why we're having this Friends Day, because I want you to just be aware more and more and more of how important it is that people need what you have. Man, how many people do you know today that need to hear a message like this? It's not for the, a negative thing against them, it's for them. If you're not ever challenged like this, you know, you might be sitting there kind of moving around in your seat a little bit. You know, it's, maybe it's a little uncomfortable for you in whatever way in, in what I'm saying. But man, you need to be a little uncomfortable at times. You need to be challenged. You need to think. How many, how many of you, you, don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you, you're thinking about somebody in your streets right now because of what I preached? You're thinking about somebody. Yeah, you know, that, that guy probably wouldn't receive from me. He probably wouldn't this, that, or the other. He probably, you know, yeah, but what if he did? You know, what if he did respond? What would happen? I was getting, I had to put a tire on my car the other day. And I was at this place, and this young kid was doing, he was probably 18, 19 years old, and he was changing my tire. not here is he <laughs> tire man are you here no he's not here um, <clears throat> he was changing my tire and uh, I kept walking around and he was having a hard time uh, getting he had one of those automatic deals to pull the lug nut off you know and he was having a hard time I said let me look at it <laughs> so I I did something to it, and then we got it. We got the tire off together. You know, I was just helping him, and he was just pouring sweat. I mean, just pouring, pouring, pouring sweat. And I'm thinking about this guy. I'm thinking about this young guy. You know, and here's one: he can't do anything for me. There's nothing that he can do. There's not really a some personal friendship that he and I can get into. You know, there's nothing that I mean. He's probably struggling to make ends meet. There's nothing he can do for me financially. And I'm looking at this guy thinking, 
a nice tip will go a long way with this boy. And See, that didn't come out of my head because your head thinks, nah, I'll just hold on to my money. But out of the inside of me, I think a, a, a tip will go a long way. And see, hear me what I'm saying. See, I'm not, I'm not thinking about... I'm not thinking about him thinking well of me. I'm thinking that the tip will speak something to him and open him up to be receptive. That's what the Holy Spirit said to me. That's how God speaks. And so he put my tire back on. You know, he put the new tire on. And we kind of did a couple other things. And, and, uh, and he goes, uh, what do you do? After I gave him that tip, he said, after I gave him that tip, I said, what do you do? Oh, I'm a billionaire. I own several multi-million dollar, billion dollar corporations. No, I didn't say that. He just said, what do you, what do, you do? See, the, it got him thinking. And I said, uh, a pastor of church. Really? I said, where? You ever seen the cross up here? He said, yeah. I said, I've been up there. I said, when you're up there, did you see a big rock building just to the right? Yeah, I see that building. What is that place? I said, it's a church. It's the church I pastor. That big building? I said, yeah. Wow. He said, so like, what do, what, do you, what do you think or what do you do there? And he said, what kind of a church? Is it like you, a Baptist church or something like that? And I go, well, kind of. I said, uh, he said, so it's like you play music and, and stuff or do you not have instruments? So he'd been somewhere where they didn't have instruments or something. I said, no, we got instruments. We got electric guitars. Electric guitars? Yeah. I said, yeah. Okay. He said, you ought to come sometime. He said, you know what? I will. I said, when's your service? I said, on the 25th of October, we got a really special service. And, and I'd love for you to be there. And I said, actually, I'll send somebody to pick you up. Okay. <laughs> now, he's getting, now he's getting a little nervous. He's like, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to send a taxi to get you. No. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure somebody will come pick you up. Okay. Where has this young guy been in his life? Where has he been? What's happened in his life? What does he need? I'm just saying, there's people like that everywhere. See, what I'm going to share with you next week is without the Holy Spirit, the helper, we can't figure these kind of things out. You'll screw it up. You'll mess it up. You'll say the wrong thing to the wrong person. You try to force things on people that they're not ready for. You try to be a certain way that you shouldn't be. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, he, he's brilliant. And you know where he lives? Inside of us. And he's brilliant. He's got every answer for every person. He showed me that about the tip. He just said, just give that young guy a tip. And it opened him. See, if, if you're not blessed, you can't be a blessing. I'm a tither and a seed sower, so when God tells me to do something, I can do it. I'm blessed and able to give into every good work. That was a good work for the good of a person. Can you say amen? We don't want to be these people of excuses. You don't want to be one of those that when you're invited and when it's time to be ready, you're not ready. I'm just saying, you won't take it to the streets. We're living in a time in our world and in our society, we're living in a time right now 
there's probably as much or more fear on planet earth right now than there's ever been in people. People are so afraid of everything. The economy, the governments, what's going to happen, who's going to be voted in, who's going to control this, that, or the other. The left side wants this, the right side wants this, this wants this, and everybody vacillating back and forth. No one knows. You know what? I, if I hear this, if I heard this once lately, I heard this, I can't tell you how many times. You can't trust anybody. Anybody heard that or thought that? Hmm? I've thought it myself. Can't trust a soul. I can trust Jesus. And I can trust the Holy Ghost on the inside of me to help me discern what's right and what's not right in every given situation to help other people. Because see, there can be times like that with that young boy. Money's the last thing you need to give him. Especially when the moment you give it to him, he's going to go spend it on drugs or do whatever with it. That's the last thing he needs, but the Holy Ghost knows. So you can look at a con man and he'll give you some sad, sad song and dance and he'll get money out of you because you're not discerning. We've got to be discerning people and know what's right and what's not. God wants people liberated and free and I tell you what, we got the goods to do it. And my last thing that I'm going to say is this. There's not a, there's not a person sitting in there, and this is for some of you right now, really, this is really important. Not a person sitting here today that's disqualified from going to the streets. Yeah, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. It don't matter. Actually, your liberation is tied to you going to the streets. It's tied to you humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God and not being in fear and afraid of so many different things. When you start ministering and, and just being a friend to other people and helping other people and, and thinking about other people, you get your mind. You can't think about others and yourself at the same time. You get your mind off yourself. God can meet your needs. He can meet your needs. <clears throat> Tell me your name. No, you. Shannon? Yeah, no, right here. I'm talking to her. Thank you. Shannon, I just have, have a real simple word for you. Okay? Just, Holy Spirit, you know, you, I, I don't say things, I don't do this a lot. But the Holy Spirit, when He speaks something, it has to be said. And a lot of times you don't speak prophetic words because you don't want to expose somebody about something. That's not what this is. But I heard really clearly for you. I don't know what's going on in your life or, or anything else. But I heard so clear. Old things are passed away. And everything is new right now. And God is so wanting everything about your life. Because he has so much to do with you. So much. And when I just said that a minute ago is when I heard this for you. You felt disqualified. You're not disqualified. You're qualified in God. And the God that's in you is more than enough. And everything is passed away, is passed away. And it's time to press on and fulfill what God's called you to do. He's got some big things for you. Big things. Amen? Amen? God is good. God is good.